Psalm 55 this morning. Psalm 55. Continuing our study here through the book of Psalms. If you weren't with us last week, we talked about how dealing with difficult people, specifically there's a man by the name of Doag, and there's the Ziphites, etc., Psalm 55 carries on this theme of dealing with difficult people, but Psalm 55 goes to a little bit different route. Psalm 55 is dealing with somebody very, very close to home. Very close to home. Take a look at verse 12. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man, my equal, my companion, my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked in the house of God in the throng. This is somebody close to them. As we go through the psalm, there's going to be words like this. Feeling betrayed, spoken against, attacked with words. It's going to be difficult when you stop and think about all the relationships we have. Psalm 62 backs this up. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Selah. It will happen. That there will be somebody who will speak against you, attack you, betray you with words. And it could be that close person, that close friend. Think about this, Judas who betrayed Jesus. Think back to Numbers chapter 12 where Aaron and Miriam betrayed Moses. Brother and sister against brother. It's going to happen. You would find difficult people to deal with, be it at home, be it at school, be it at work, be it at church, be it in your community. These people will come at you with words. These people will attack you with all types of things. How are we going to handle this? And especially when there are people that are close to us. That's what this psalm is about. When we deal with this and the idea of these people that we supposedly love and they love us. But it comes back to bite us. What's the first response to that when this happens? Take a look at verse 1. Give ear to my prayer, O God. and Do not hide yourself from my supplication. First thing you should do is pray about it. Now, that's almost too simple of a point, isn't it? You just pray about it. But think of all the verses that deal with prayer in the Bible. And I'm just going to go through them real quick. There's nothing new here. Pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So pray about everything. Ephesians 6.18 Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So pray without ceasing. Be anxious for nothing, but pray about it. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Pray. Pray. Why are we praying? Because people are coming against us. Psalm 71 says this, For my enemies speak against me, and those who lie in wait for me take counsel together. We're against us. They are coming against us, and we need to give this over to the prayer. Now, here's what we need to talk about with prayer, though, first. Prayer should be your first and foremost, the option that you do. Not talk to 100 people first, and then give it over to the Lord. But it should be Prayer. I've had people over the years contact me and say, hey, pastors, there's something, can we, can we pray about it? And I say, sure. And what happens is we spend the first 15, 20 minutes talking about it, and then the last 15, 20 seconds praying about it. We should really flip that around. We should really just be giving this over to the Lord and letting Him deal with it. Because what happens is this, we feel this need, this burden to share all the details. But details don't matter. 
matters is taking it to the Lord. When we get into those details, when we do that, we're going to get ourselves and rehash it and go over it and analyze it and nothing good or healthy or spiritual comes out of that in any way whatsoever. We need to stop and just give it over to the Lord. I remember one time there was a guy that called me up who was having a marriage difficulty. And he said, hey, same thing. Can we pray about this? Wife and I are having an issue. I said, sure. What, okay, let's pray. He goes, well, let me tell you what happened first. And I, and I cut him off and I said, now hold on a second. I said, let me just ask you very simply. I said, did you act like Christ towards her? He said, no. I said, did she act like Christ towards you? He said, no. I said, those are all the details I need. Okay, let's just pray. Why do we have to go into all the details of everything that happened? Let's just give it over to the Lord and learn just to pray. I don't have to go to every friend, every family member. I don't have to run it by them. I don't have to disguise it as saying, hey, I just want to run this by you to see if I'm handling it correctly. So I'm going to give you everything. No, I'm just going to take it to the Lord and just pray. That's what David does and what a great example. But the problem is it's so difficult. Look at two. I'm restless in my complaint and moan noisily. One translation talked about thoughts being full of anxiety. It's a struggle. I acknowledge that it's a struggle when you have difficult people at home, you have difficult people at work, you have difficult people in your community, school, and church. I get that. But we need to stop and realize, what am I going to do with that? I'm going to give those people over to the Lord. And why? Because verse 3, they're the voice of the enemy. They're the voice of oppression. They bring down trouble upon me. They're difficult. There are difficult people in this world that we have to deal with. What good does it do to go back and just keep complaining about them? Let's give it to the Lord. The people are the problem. There's an ongoing joke at almost every pastor's conference I go to. They say being a pastor would be the greatest job in the world if it wasn't for the people. You just get to teach the Bible, preach the Bible... You just get to see babies born and marriage. It's just the people that are the issue. This is what Jesus dealt with too. And I want to read this from Christ here. Matthew 17. This is Christ, your Savior that loves you, that dies for you, is the greatest example of love in the world. This is what he said about people one time. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Christ himself is saying, how long shall I put up with this? How long should I bear with you? It is difficult. It's a struggle to be around people. No matter where you're at, no matter where you go, there's going to be somebody difficult. There's going to be somebody difficult at, at, at the checkout line at Walmart. There's going to be somebody difficult at church. There's going to be somebody difficult as a neighbor. It's just going to happen. And these people will use words and attack And we have to rise above that in spiritual maturity to say, I'm not going to go down that level. I'm just going to pray about it and I'm going to realize, Lord, it's in your hands. The result is what though? Verse 4. Look at the wording. Heart is severely pained. Terrors of death. Fearfulness, trembling, horror. Does that not how it feels sometimes? Going into work and you have to deal again with that guy and you have a pained heart, you have terrors of death, you have fearfulness, trembling and horror. That's the result of all this. So when I run into that result, what do I want to do? Verse 6, so I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness, Selah. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. Oh, let's just daydream about leaving. Let's daydream about that perfect job with perfect hours and perfect pay 
where I'm loved and appreciated. Let's dream about the perfect house and the perfect location and the perfect neighbors. Let's dream about the perfect spouse. Let's dream about the perfect church. Let's dream about the perfect government. And what happens is this, and I then in my mind, oh, if I had wings, I would just fly away. Do we not then daydream about changing everything? Here's the problem. Change of location does not mean change of heart. We have to remember that. I like what this quote says. We should never count on sanctification by relocation. Wherever you go, you take you with you. A new environment doesn't always mean a new attitude. Do you know people like that? That they found the perfect job. Because every other job they had, the other dozen ones were awful. But this boss is great. These people are great. And then about a week into it, they find out what? The new job has the same type of people as the old job. We're going to move to a new community. Because we have awful neighbors and it's awful everything. You find out the new community has the same type of people as the old community. We're going to go to a new school. Because it's the teachers and the administration everything. And you find out the new school has the same type of people as the old school. We're going to get a new church. And you find out the new church has the same type of people as the old church. Because the issue is not the location. The issue is how are we going to deal with it. Think about this, for example. To prove this biblically, location is not the issue. Look at how God describes the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Before they're in the promised land, they're called stubborn and stiff-necked. Let's just get them a new location. So we get them into the promised land, and guess how they're described in the promised land? Stubborn and stiff-necked. They're the same people in the promised land as out of the promised land. Please note, a new job, a new community, a new school, a new church, you're still going to run into the same type of issues. We have to be careful of this daydream of just running away and just escaping. I had a guy one time tell me that he always dreamed about moving up to Alaska and living in a cave and growing out his beard. That was his way of just not dealing with anything. It doesn't work. God has called us to be the body of Christ interacting with each other. There are no solo Christians. God has called us to be a light in the community to go out there amongst non-believers and represent Jesus Christ. He has not called us to run to the mountains, build a little thing on top of the mountains and wait for the return of Christ. Sometimes we look at these very spiritual supposed monks and we stop and say, wow, how deep. They go seclude themselves and they don't even speak. They're going against every tenet that Jesus said. Go proclaim the gospel. Go live amongst the people and represent light and darkness. This is kind of a long quote, but I like this. We Christians should never try to escape from the burdens and woes of life among men. The hermit and the recluse sound good in poetry, but stripped of that romance, they are not good examples of what followers of Christ should be. True peace comes not by a retreat from the world, but by the overpowering presence of Christ in the heart. It's not about escaping. It's not about becoming the hermit or the recluse or getting away from everybody. It's learning how to deal with these people and represent Jesus Christ in the midst of it. Accept the fact you'll always have a difficult coworker, difficult family member, difficult neighbor, and difficult people at church. That is the reality of it. How are we going to deal with it? How do we deal with it? Verse 9. Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues. It's a good prayer. Pray against their words. 
Lord, silence their mouths. That's a prayer I pray, I pray a lot. When somebody is speaking ill or evil against me, the church, or something, Lord, just silence their tongues. Because I have seen violence and strife in the city. Verse 9. What good does it do to go down to that level? Battle words for words. More violence, more strife. No, Lord, silence their tongues. Mouths may be stopped. That's hard. Because every part of me does not want to silence their tongues. Every part of me wants to go rehash it, analyze it, and get people on my side. I don't want to give it just to the Lord. I want to deal with it. I've shared this example with you before. I remember it's probably been 15 plus years ago now. Somebody called me up and said, hey, do you know so-and-so is saying this about you in the church? So I picked up my phone and I tried calling every board member I could so we could analyze it and rehash it under the disguise of prayer. No, just give it to the Lord. I'm not perfect on this. I'm slowly learning. I don't have to go through it with everybody. Somebody said something, okay, Lord. Silence their mouths. If I have to deal with it, we'll deal with it. But if not, let's just pray against it. Why go down to that violence and strife in the city? It's no good. There's always going to be another one. There's always going to be something else. Can we reach the point of just saying, Lord, I trust you. Frustrate their plans. Silence their tongues. And just, Lord, realize that nothing good will come and go down to that level. Like, look at verse 10. Day and night they go around it on its walls. Iniquity and trouble are always in the midst of it. Destruction is in its midst. Depression and deceit do not depart from its streets. It will always be there. It will always, there will always be iniquity. There will always be trouble. There will always be destruction. There will always be oppression. It will always be there. I have to realize that. And realize I'm not going to defeat this in my life. Like we talked about last week with difficult people. The only way we know they're there is by their stings. They're going to constantly be stung. How are you going to handle it? And the way we're going to handle it is going back to verse 1 by praying about it. Saying, Lord, I'm giving this to you and putting it into your hands. The way is not to just escape. That's what our flesh wants, is just to escape. Sometimes we can't. Sometimes when the twins at home, they're a little over three now, get really worked up. And it's just one of those days. Dawn and I will look at each other jokingly and say, what time is it? Okay, it's 4.30. Is it too early for bedtime for them? It's just craziness. We just want to escape. Just put them in bed and just be done for the day. It doesn't work. Last night, the, the girls were, were getting even more and more crazy than normal. And people have always told me how different girls are. No, they're not. They bite and claw and growl and attack just like the other five boys do. So they were jumping from furniture to furniture to furniture to furniture, and they were doing whatever. So it's a little after seven now. So I said to Dawn, I said, all right, let's just, just put them to bed for the safety of us and the safety of them. Let's just put them to bed. It's too early. That's 7.15. So they're jumping and jumping. And next thing you know, there's a big jump from one couch to the other couch. And guess what happens? I hear Dawn say, all right, go to bed. 7.25. It's just done. Be done for the day. Do we not ever want to do that in life? I just want to be done, Lord. I want to be done. I want to be done with this job. I want to be done with this community. I want to be done with this school. I want to be done with this church. I want to be done with this relationship. I want to be done with this marriage. I just want to be done, and I'm just going to run. What about my heart? But Lord, 
Look at how they hurt me. 12. For it's not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor does one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man, my equal, my companion, my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked in the house of God in the throng. That's what's hurt so bad, Lord. This is not some random stranger at Walmart that said something. This is somebody close. We can handle it when that person that we really don't know too deeply says something. I, I distinctly remember, and it's funny now to think back about it. A, a few years ago, I was doing a, a family funeral. As, as a pastor, I get asked a lot to do funerals for people within the family, the extended family, and I was doing one. And so I'm back there in the fellowship hall after the funeral is done, and I'm getting the food at the line, and I'm standing beside my mom's first cousin. Now, this is a guy that I have limited of all relationships with. Probably the only time I've ever seen him is at funerals. I mean, we just don't even have a relationship. I just know that he's my mom's first cousin, and he knows that I am Joyce's son. We're standing there beside each other. He looks over at me, pats my stomach, and goes, put some weight on, aren't you? I don't even know you. I can laugh it off. I can let it go. Because you know what? There's just not even a relationship there. But Dawn and I have been married 24 years. Some of the stuff that she said to me, I've forgiven her for, but it's still there. And and not to play favorites, I've said stuff to her that she's forgiven me for. It's still there. That's what hurts. When somebody close. Yeah, that guy that I'm never going to see again that got upset at me in traffic the other day. Yeah. But Lord, 12... It's not an enemy. It's a friend. My companion, my acquaintance. That's what hurts. Some of you here today have been so hurt by somebody that is a close friend, a family member, a relative. And that bitterness is there and that anger is there. And I'm asking you, what are you going to do about it? What we're going to do is 15. Let death seize them. Let them go down alive into hell. For wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. Some of you are marking that verse like you've never marked a verse before in your life. You're going to go get a bumper sticker and put that on the back of your car. Let death seize them. Let them go down alive into hell. Please note about that verse. The Bible is honest and never hides our real thoughts and opinions. But please note verse 15. David doesn't have the power for that to happen. He's leaving it in God's hands. Just because he says let death seize them doesn't mean it's going to happen. It means that at that moment there's that flesh. God will take care of what the proper right judgment is. Paul goes a little deeper in this in Romans twelve nineteen. He says this, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I will repay, says Lord. I don't have to go out and cause their death. I don't have to go send them to hell. I don't have to do that. In fact, Lord, I just need to leave it in your hands. And we're going to get to this verse here at the end. One thing I've realized and noticed and I've started doing, not because I'm perfect, but because I realize this is biblical and I want to be biblical. I start praying for these people. And I'm not praying that death sees them or they go down alive into hell. I'm praying for them to grow deeper in Christ. I'm praying that, okay, out of anger, out of frustration, out of flesh, out of whatever, right, wrong, indifferent, there is a break in the relationship. Try to make peace if I can. Paul says in Romans, as much as depends on you, live at peace with all people. I'll attempt peace. 
but I can't let the anger get the best of me. And if they have left the church, then I have to stop and say, Lord, I pray that wherever they go, that that pastor that's speaking to them will speak words of truth and love, that the Spirit will lead. I pray that God's Word will be alive and active because I want them to grow and be rooted and grounded in Christ. I don't want to battle words. I don't want to get into fights and arguments. I don't want awkwardness when we run into each other. I want to stop and say, Lord, I want to see them become everything they can in Christ just like I hope they would want that for me. And so, Lord, instead of cursing a blessing, Lord, be with them and take them deeper in you. But that's hard. Because my flesh gets wound up. And I want to fight and I want to battle. A long quote here, but it's a good one. Be not in haste. Let anger cool down. Say nothing and do nothing to avenge yourself. You will be sure to act unwisely if you take up the clubs and fight your own battles. And certainly you will not show the spirit of the Lord Jesus. It is far more noble to forgive and let the offense pass. But you say that you must do something or be a great loser. Then do what this morning's promise advises. Wait on the Lord and he shall save thee. This advice will not cost you money, but it's worth far more. Be calm. Be quiet. Wait upon the Lord. Tell him your grievance. God will find a way of deliverance for you. How he will do it, neither you or I can guess, but he will do it. If the Lord saves you, this will be a deal better than getting into petty quarrels and covering yourself with filth by wrestling with the unclean. Wow. Be not in haste. Let anger cool down. We can all give a testimony of saying something I shouldn't have said too quickly. David says in one of the other Psalms, I said in my haste, all men are liars. We speak too quick. Say nothing. Do nothing. Act like Jesus. But I'm going to look like the loser. Wait a second. Wait on the Lord and he shall save thee. It's better than getting into a petty quarrel and covering yourself with filth by wrestling with the unclean. How many of you have gotten into an argument with words with somebody and you came out covered in mud? What good does that do? Give it to the Lord. 16 reiterates this. As for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. Anytime it comes to mind, be it evening, morning or noon, I am going to constantly give this over to the Lord. I will call upon the Lord and he will hear, he will answer, he will save me. I don't need to fight this. Let's build on this real quick. Go with me to Psalm 62. Psalm 62. Let's just learn to trust Him. Verse 1, Psalm 62. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From Him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my great defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Jump down please to verse 5. My soul waits silently for God alone. For my expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. And God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Psalm 71, please just jump ahead a few more. Psalm 71, look at verse 5. For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. By you I've been upheld from birth. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of you. My hope is in you, Lord. My prayer is to you. I trust you in this. And that's what David has learned. I don't need to go around to everybody else. I need to take it to the Lord. 
the Lord. I, I love the simplicity of taking my complaint to Him. And as it comes back to mind, evening, morning, and noon, I'll pray and give it to the Lord. It says a great passage in 2 Corinthians 10 where it talks about taking every thought captive. So you're going to give this to the Lord and as it comes back to what they said and what they did, you're going to grab that thought, take it captive, and then give it to Christ and say, I no longer want to deal with this. I'm not going to rehash it. I'm not going to dwell on it. And I'm not going to go around and talk to everybody about it. Problem is, it's so overwhelming. Look at 18. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. There was many against me. Does it not feel that way? You're in a battle. Everybody is against you. But look at 19. God will hear and afflict them. Even he who abides from of old, Selah. Because they do not change, therefore they do not fear God. They do not fear God. This is what I've noticed. Somebody that is willing to attack with their words, and they have no filter between head and mouth, And they always have something to say about something or somebody. There's not a fear of God in them. A fear of God will stop and say, the Bible tells me to speak evil of no one. The fear of God will stop me and say, I need to keep my mind on eternity. The fear of God would stop and say, why would I put down my brothers and sisters in Christ in front of my father? The fear of God. When somebody will not control their words, there is not the fear of God in them. God hears 19 and afflicts. Think that through. Every word you've spoken, God has heard. Every thought you've had, God has heard. God hears. I am accountable to him. Even though it's overwhelming, God is the one that hears my complaint. Go back and look at verse 2. Attend to me and hear me. Verse 19. God will hear. He prayed, God hear me, and God heard him. But, But I want everybody else. I want everybody else. I don't want just God. Why do I want everybody else? Let's think that through for a second. When I have an issue and I go to another human being, a few things happen. First off, I get an immediate response. Immediate response. I don't get an immediate response when I speak to the Lord. Because God is constantly telling me to learn to wait. So I like an immediate response. I don't get that from people. Number two, if they agree with me, I get immediate sympathy. Oh, James. I can't believe they said that stuff about you. Boy, you, you just, you're, you're I, I, can't, I, I can't imagine how hard your job is and what you do. And to struggle with being that good looking, it'd be so hard. Yeah, I know, it's a, it's a problem. But I get that immediate sympathy, you know what I mean? And I, I like that, I enjoy that. I get the immediate confirmation of my pain of somebody stopping and saying, you should be upset, you should be hurt, and that makes me feel good. So I get immediate response, immediate sympathy, and immediate confirmation that I have been wronged. What does God tell me to do? Hey, James, buck up. You've not resisted the point of bloodshed. James, they haven't whipped your back. They haven't thrown you on the cross. Wipe the tears away and get back in the game. Now think about that for a second. What do I want? Do I not want the immediate response, the immediate sympathy, the immediate confirmation of my pain? Or do I want God telling me, hey, buck up and look at eternity? I want the human response. We want the response that makes us feel the best. You know, back to the girls. As they're getting older now and they're having a little bit more independence to be able to do stuff, they like it when I get them up in the morning. See, when Dawn gets them up in the morning, she comes out, she, she takes them into the living room, she gets some dry cereal, puts it in front of them, puts something on the TV for them, and then she immediately goes to the couch and goes back to bed. So when Dawn writes her book on parenting, it's going to be go to the couch and go to bed. That's what it's going to be called. That's what she likes to do. When I get the girls up in the morning, 
they start chanting cereal milk, cereal milk. Because I'm, I'm awake. I'll go to the kitchen. Let's get the bowls out. Let's get the spoons out. Let's get the cereal. Let's put milk on it. Let's sit there. Let's talk. And they interact. They want me because they get more out of it. It's not that I'm the better parent. It's just that they get what they want from me, which is cereal milk. And from mom, they don't get that. I go to the people that give me what I want. So therefore, if I want an immediate response with immediate sympathy and immediate confirmation, I will always turn to mankind. But shouldn't I want to be more like Jesus? And sometimes I need to be told, get back in the game. Buck up. That's why it's so hard to go to God when I can call a hundred different friends and one of them is going to agree with me. One of them is going to back up everything I'm doing. But here's the problem with contacting people. And I'll use the example of Dawn and I. If I'm bothered about something, and I go to Dawn, and Dawn doesn't see it from my perspective, guess what? Now I'm mad at her. So I'm, now I'm mad at the person that did this to me, and now I'm mad at Dawn for not seeing it from my perspective. So that doesn't work. Okay, let's go to point number two. I go to Dawn, and Dawn now agrees with me. So guess what? Now we're both mad at the person, and I have now put a burden on Dawn and brought Dawn down. That doesn't work. What's the real answer? Just give it to the Lord. Just give it to the Lord. I don't have to analyze it, rehash it, go through it. I don't have to call everybody. I don't have to get everybody's perspective on it. I need to take it to Christ and Christ alone. Go with me to Psalm 142, please. short, simple psalm here, but it just backs up everything we're saying. Look at Psalm 142. A contemplation of David. A prayer when he was in the cave. Men in the many times he was in the cave hiding. The king is trying to kill him. People are trying to kill him. Everybody's against him. Look at one. I cried out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. Oh, folks, just, just try that this week. Complain to the Lord. Complain to Him. Oh, it's hard. Does this mean that you never go to your brothers or sisters in the Lord and say, hey, can you give me biblical counsel? Hey, could you pray for me for encouragement? That is a biblical concept, and I encourage that. But just be careful of the 20 minutes of talking about it and the 20 seconds of praying about it. Just flip that around. Okay, the issue, okay, you got somebody at work you're struggling with. Okay, I don't, don't need to know the details. If you feel comfortable, give me his first name. Okay, God, let's just pray that you can represent Jesus to him. No, 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 but you need to know everything he said and did to me. But I don't. And that sounds unloving, but it's not. Because I'm going to then get sucked into this vortex of bitterness as well. And we've got to keep our eyes on Christ. So let's pour out our complaint to him. Verse 3, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path. And the way on which I walk, they have secretly set a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. Lord, it's you. It's just you. You're my refuge. You're my strength. You're my foundation. I've said this many times out here. I love Dawn. I love my kids. But the reality is Christ. It's got to be Christ as the foundation of everything that I do. 
And that's what David is teaching us in Psalm 55. Let's jump back to this and finish it up. But we stop and say, people need to know. See, James, I hear what you're saying. Just give it to the Lord. But people need to know how difficult this person is. Look at 20. He has put forth in his hands against those who are at peace with him. He has broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but his war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. See, that's the problem, James. 21. His words seem like butter. His words seem like oil. People need to know the truth of who this person is. And it is now my God-given responsibility to proclaim it online what this person's really like. And I need to tell every single person at work what they're really like. No, you don't. People will see that their words are like drawn swords. They'll see it. They may not see it as quick as what you want, but the reality is anybody that has a conversation with the person long enough, they will see it. I used to have this guy that used to contact me regularly. And I thought I was the world's greatest pastor. He would call up and he was always bothered. Bothered at a co-worker, bothered at a family member, bothered in life. Just always bothered. So he'd call me up and we would talk it through. I called it talking him off the bridge. He was on the bridge. He was just getting ready to give up. Nope, nope, nope. We're going we're gonna to work through this. And at the end of every conversation, oh, thank you, James. I feel so much better talking to you. A couple days later, he called back again, and this just kept going on and on and on. Always angry at everybody else and just so thankful that I could talk him down. And it hit me one day. If he's talking this way about everybody else, why do I think I'm immune to what his words are? Who's the guy that he's calling to talk to about me? Because his words are drawn swords. So if you have friends that are constantly willing to talk about anybody else or everybody else around you, if you've got that coworker that always confides in you and what every other employee is doing, what the boss is doing, don't you think logically they're just going to talk about you to somebody else? You just don't know about it? Their words are drawn swords. They may seem like oil and butter to you, but you know how they attack. It's inevitable that that personality that does not fear God will have something to say about you behind your back as well. People will know them and what they are like. Words reveal our heart, Jesus said. So what should we do with all these difficult people and everything? Do what 22 says. Cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Lord, I'm just going to give you this person, this burden, and trust that you'll take care of it. I'm going to cast it on you. That word literally means roll it back. Now just think this through for a little bit. Think book of Job. Anything that comes into my life has gone through the sovereignty of God. So that means a difficult coworker, a difficult church member, a difficult person, a difficult whatever, has come through the sovereignty of God. God has allowed it. Now, if, that, if that's a point that you struggle with, and you say, no, 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 then imagine the flip side of that. God up in heaven saying, James, I can't stop them. I, I'm really trying to make them stop attacking you, and I just can't. Well, then all of a sudden, my God became very, very weak. My all-powerful God allows people into my life. And what am I supposed to do? Cast your burden on the Lord. That literally means roll back. I just roll it back to Him. Say, Lord, you have allowed this burden into my life, so now I roll it back to you. And say, Lord, would you please take care of this for me? Would you please sustain me? These people are teaching me to have a hard head but a soft heart. 
These people are teaching me to love like Jesus and forgive like Jesus. These people are teaching me that I can show unconditional love and he will sustain me. He will feed me. He will never let permit the righteous to be moved, which means shaken. Learn with these people to say, Lord, I'm going to pray for them. 23, but you, O God, shall bring them down to the pit of destruction. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust you. Those last six words are vitally important, but I will trust you. Lord, I will trust you in this marriage. I'll trust you in this community. I'll trust you at this job. I'll trust you in this church. I will trust you in all ways. And I'm not going to spend my time and energy rounding up the scoreboard in my favor of getting people on my side that agrees with me that this person is difficult and wrong. No, Lord, I'm just going to trust in you. Too many souls are out there dying and going to hell for me to get worked up about this stuff. Does it hurt? You bet it hurts. But we've got to keep an eternal perspective. I've got three verses I want to close with. I want you to go to two of them with me. Can you go with me to 1 Peter 3.9? 1 Peter 3.9, final thoughts. How do you deal with these people that are out there to attack you with words? Verse 9 of 1 Peter 3. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. I'm not going to attack them back. It doesn't do any good. It doesn't do any good whatsoever. In fact, I'm just going to pray for them, ask them to be blessed. Lord, whatever church they go to, I pray that they'll grow deeper. Lord, whatever job they go to, if they're not working with me, I pray that they will grow deeper in you. Lord, whatever neighbors I have that move away, I pray that they'll grow deeper in you. I pray that you'll bring godly people into their life to encourage them, to take them deeper in you and, and mature them in Christ Jesus because they are really struggling with this. And as I bless them, guess what happens? Verse 9, I get blessed. I get blessed by blessing those difficult people. It's a pretty fair trade. Hebrews 12, please. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, start in 14 with me. Pursue peace with all people. I already referenced earlier Paul in Romans. As much as depends on you, live at peace with all people. I can only attempt. I can make the call, the text, the card, the whatever. If they don't want peace, I can't make it happen. But I can pursue it. Pursue peace with all people in holiness. I don't want fake false peace. I want peace based on the holiness and truth of God. Holy, holy, holy as Lord God Almighty. I want us to have true biblical peace. Sometimes I cannot just agree to disagree. If I'm talking to a non-believer, I can't just look at them and say, let's just agree to disagree. I, I just think Jesus is the only way to get to heaven and you got your idea and let's just agree to disagree. No, I can't. I cannot have peace with that. I can't. So when I pursue peace, I want to pursue peace biblically and in love. And that means if somebody is wrong and in sin, I can't just pretend that they're not. Just like I hope that people couldn't just look at me and say, well, James, that's sin, but can you let it go? Well, I guess I'll let it go. No, I'm going to pursue peace in holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Root of bitterness. Here's the problem with the root of bitterness. It's a root. It's under the ground. You don't see it. 
And there's bitterness in your life right now that you're not really acknowledging because it's underground and that root needs to be tore up. I don't know how many times someone has contacted me and they're worked up over something that's happened weeks, months, years ago. And my first thought is, months ago you got worked up about this and you haven't dealt with it? You have allowed the root of bitterness to get that big? Man, you need to give it to Christ. And if the Lord leads you, then you need to go right to that person and take care of it. But hanging on to something for weeks and months and years and still being worked up about it? No, that's not biblical. You got to deal with it because you got to get that root taken care of. Because the longer you don't deal with it, look at 15, and by this many become defiled. Do you not know somebody who's bitter? And eventually you just don't want to be around them. They're just always upset at somebody. They're always upset at the world, at the job, at the church, at the neighbors, at the community, at the school. And they're just always bitter about everything. And by being around them, you become defiled because they bring you into your little whirlpool of just anger and frustration. It's like, no, no. We need to seek peace. And by talking about it, which goes to the third verse, which I'm not going to make you turn there. Proverbs 26.20. Proverbs 26.20. This very simply says, When you don't put wood on the fire, the fire goes out. The most loving thing I may be able to do is to say, listen, yeah, we're not not going to talk about it. If you want to pray about it, I'll pray about it with you. But there's really no reason to go through and analyze this. It's hard. My flesh wants to analyze it. My flesh wants to rehash it. My flesh wants to defend myself. My flesh wants the immediate response with the immediate sympathy and the immediate confirmation of my pain. I don't want to be told, buck up and get back in the game by God. I don't want to be told you have not resisted the point of bloodshed. I want somebody to see it from my perspective and agree with my perspective and tell me that everybody else is wrong. Yeah, but David says, I'm just going to give it to the Lord. What I want to close with here in prayer, and and we've got a a quick uh, video we're going to show you. Would you stand with me, just please, for prayer? Lord, if there's someone here today that has that root of bitterness... Days, weeks, months, years, decades ago, they're still angry and upset at what was done and said to them. In the name of Jesus, let them see the beauty of Ephesians, that even as Christ forgave you, we can forgive them. We can let it go. It doesn't mean what they did was right, Lord, but we can just say, I let it go in Christ, just like Christ forgave me. And Lord, if we're here today and we realize that we have wronged somebody, give us the boldness, the love, the strength, and the wisdom to contact that person and say, I want to make peace with you. And I'm sorry. Let us not rehash. Let us not debate. Let us not analyze. Let us not get people on our side, Lord, but just pour out our complaint to you in your name. Amen. You guys, let me take a seat. In way of announcements, just a couple quick things. A quick card I want to share with you guys. This says, Dear Harvest Fellowship, we are blown away at the generosity of you all. We give thanks to God for your willingness to serve so selflessly. What a blessing to be part of this body of Christ. To God be the glory. And this is from the Browns, Adam, Jamie, Keegan, Connor, Caleb, and Beth. Uh, moved recently to scenic delta ohio and also uh, adam had surgery recently adam's with us here this morning so uh they are a blessing want to let everybody know as well too a new ladies study starting friday november 6th friday november 6th called undercurrent and this is about the lesser known women in the bible Good time for us just to go through this real quick. And if you want more information, contact me. If you're interested in small groups, Monday, we have a men's small group that meets in Deschler area. And there's also a ladies group that meets in Deschler. 
Tuesday, we have a ladies' online study. Thursday, we have a men's small group that meets out here at church. Friday, we have a ladies' small group that meets out here at church, and they're starting the new study November 6, undercurrent at 9. And then Saturday, we have a men's study that meets online. So we have three ladies' studies, three men's studies. Uh, two of each are face-to-face, and one of each is online. So if you want an online option, you can do that. If you want a face-to-face option, we can hook you up with that. If you want information, contact me, and I will put you with the prospective people that are going to be leading up those studies. What I want to finish with is this. Uh, We have a a quick two-minute video.